Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is our own Archbishop William E. Lurie. In the first part of the program, we're going to take a look back at the year that's ending. And in the second part of the program, we'll talk about Advent and Christmas. Welcome to the show, Archbishop Lurie. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for having me. What have been the highlights of this year for you? It's been a very interesting and challenging year, I think it could be said. Uh, Among the highlights of this year, uh, the things that have really made me happy, given me joy and, and, and hope, has been an increase in the number of seminarians. For the Archdiocese, we number 40 at the moment, with uh, applicants already for the coming year. I just ordained a wonderful young priest, Father Robert Catafias, and uh, so that has been a source of, of great hope and joy for me. As always, being with our young people in our schools has been a great joy. For example, the opening day of school, I visited uh, several schools in, in Harford County, and what a great joy that was. And we're making great progress uh, toward the building of our new school on the west side, the Mother Lang School, We're very close to our fundraising goal and very close to putting a shovel in the ground. So that has brought me lots of hope and joy, as I hope it has and will, to many young people who live uh, in, in the city of Baltimore. So there's been a lot of highlights along the way. Perhaps always, though, the greatest highlight of any year for me is simply going and visiting parishes and saying Mass on Sunday, uh, having an opportunity to visit with parishioners after Mass. Uh, For me, that's the favorite most part of this job. And uh, it always brings me joy to be with, with God's people. And they seem to love being with you. I think you spend a lot of time, sometimes more time after Mass, uh, greeting people than you spend celebrating the Mass itself. Uh, Yes, you know, um, I'm usually the last one out. Mm -hmm. I kind of close down these places. And and that takes a lot of patience for those who come with me on these visits, especially Father Bianco. But, you know, I think the opportunity to visit... People have a chance to tell me directly what they're thinking about, what they're worried about, what they're joyful about. I always come away with a big bundle of intentions uh, for which to pray. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of rush back to chapel and try to remember the names and the faces of of the people that, that spoke with me. And I feel that's a great act of trust when someone says, you know, my son or daughter is sick or on drugs or in trouble or is going to have a big interview. And they say, would you pray for my loved one? That is an act of, of, of great, great trust. 
That is. You talked a little bit about how difficult and challenging this year has been for the church. Revelations over the summer of the allegations against Archbishop Theodore McCarrick, the release of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report about decades of sexual abuse of children by clergy in that state. How have you dealt with those issues, and what are you hearing from people as you go around the archdiocese? It's been a very difficult um, year, especially, as you rightly comment, um, when allegations against uh, the former Cardinal McCarrick surfaced the release of the Pennsylvania report, it really seemed to bring the sexual abuse crisis uh, back to life and to the fore in the life of the church, including here in the Archdiocese of of Baltimore. When it was breaking, a, a couple of very good friends came to see me separately And they all had the same advice. One was, you know, don't let yourself get sick over this. Make sure you you sleep. Make sure you exercise. Make sure you take care of yourself. And I really appreciated that. But the second piece of advice was get out there. Be out there. Well, that's sort of right down my alley to begin with. But I knew going out in this instance would be a lot more challenging. And indeed, the first few weeks after uh, these revelations, I would go to parishes and I would spend a lot longer in the narthex of the church talking to people afterwards about the crisis than I would saying Mass. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it took me a little while. And those first couple of Sundays really helped me to kind of understand the depth of feeling about this and to begin to understand the the more specific concerns. It seemed to me that what was necessary then was a series of listening sessions across the archdiocese, Uh, right here in the Catholic Center, my my own co-workers. I had two listening sessions with them, and it affects them very deeply because they're Uh, very much on the front lines, with priests and deacons, again, very much on the front lines. And um, a lot of depth of feeling, a lot of anger, a lot of disappointment, a lot of, of energy about telling me to get this fixed and get it fixed now. Enough apologies. We want action. We want action now. And then we had uh, listening sessions for Catholic educators. We had listening sessions for parish leadership. And then, of course, I got a ton of mail, Mm -hmm. uh, both electronic and otherwise. Sifted very carefully through it. Tried to kind of make sense of the themes I was hearing. Uh, That was a kind of a, a virtual listening session, if you will. Uh, And we did open up, actually, an electronic virtual listening session, and uh, I think people sent in probably... About 7,000 comments. 7,000 comments, and that's a lot of comments. Yeah. In the meantime, as as I could see areas of the diocese where there was uh, a real depth of feeling, we went back in and did smaller listening sessions. We call them crisis updates. Mm-hmm. And that was largely done by Bishop Parker 
and uh, sometimes Bishop Brennan, sometimes Monsignor Hannon joined him. And I think those were opportunities for us really to listen to what people were telling us. And what did they tell us? They want, they want bishops to be as accountable as everyone else for their misdeeds. They want uh, complete transparency. They want to know that we've gotten it all out. Mm-hmm. All the information is out there. They want to know that we have things in place for prevention. What I discovered along the way is things I thought everybody knew, many people did not know because most people don't focus on this. I do because it's part of our, our, our daily life and our work. But a lot of people don't. There was an opportunity to say what the church has actually done, what progress has been made over the last decades. But it was also an opportunity to really come into clear focus about what still needs to be done. And in the meantime, of course, I was working at the level of the Bishops' Conference, where some very concrete proposals were made as to how we might deal with this on a national level. And that included a code of conduct for bishops, and that's not only any misdeed a bishop might do personally, but also mishandling allegations, being neglectful, negligent, mm-hmm. hiding the ball. Uh, can't do that. Right. Can't do that. The second thing was a proposal for how allegations against bishops might be handled. We got two proposals on the table. One is an independent commission um, that would report both to law enforcement and to higher church authorities and do the investigation against the bishop. The other is to use the metropolitan structure, that is to say the archbishops across the country would investigate the bishops uh, that are under them in their provinces. Mm -hmm. Still a work in progress. And then um, a third thing was how, how to handle retired bishops who have in some way offended. And so all of these things were bubbling up. And those proposals were not voted on in in November at the conference at the request of the Vatican, but you've decided really not to wait, right? Here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the bishops are already uh, responsible for the code of conduct that all of us lay employees and volunteers sign. You already got fingerprinted when you got hired. And you're adding a new thing where you're, you've asked the Independent Review Board to be kind of a receiving house for any allegations against bishops. That's, That's right. probably one of the first in the nation to do that. I imagine there was widespread disappointment among the bishops that we were not able to vote on those very concrete proposals. Even if we knew they needed a little more development and work, we wanted to indicate a direction. And so uh, coming away from that meeting, I said, well, I can't control everything, but I can make a difference here in the archdiocese. And so we decided we would implement our version of those things locally. So if an allegation is made against myself or one of the auxiliary bishops, uh, it would go not to our offices, but it would go to the two judges on our independent 
late review board, um, which has been in place since the 1990s. And they, in turn, would investigate. It would go to law enforcement. It would go to higher church authority. Certainly, uh, we've already signed on to the code of conduct for the church. And certainly, I, I think we have to be subject to all the rules that everybody else in the archdiocese is subject to. Because bishops are, uh, yes, we're leaders in the church, but we're also members of the church. And we can never forget that. We might be shepherds, but we're also part of the flock. And we have to be uh, humble, honest, transparent. And so I said, you know, let's see what we can do locally. And uh, that's good. On the, on the other hand, I'm praying really hard that the meeting in February uh, that the Pope will be having of the leaders of Episcopal conferences from around the country will bear fruit. Mm -hmm. We'll get some really good concrete proposals out of that, but also enough leeway so that we don't have to take any backward steps in the United States right. and that we can do what's going to work in our country, which might not be the case right. in other countries. Because the situation is very different culturally and, and uh, legally in other yes. parts of the world. So you want to make sure you have policies that work in Africa and Asia, but also work very well here. Absolutely. Good. Well, that's a good place to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk some more with Archbishop Laurie about Advent and Christmas. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore talking with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Laurie. We're just wrapping up Advent. One of the Advent events that you do every year is to help the Knights of Columbus give out warm coats to, to children in the city. I don't know whose smile on their face is bigger, yours or the kids, when they get those coats and when you, when you help a kid put a coat on. Why do Events like that inspire you so much. Well, you know, the gospel says there's more, more joy in giving than in receiving. And that's one of those moments every year where that truth that our Lord gave us really comes to life. And um, 
the Knights of Columbus do a wonderful amount of charity. I'm, I'm the Supreme Chaplain of the Knights, love the Knights of Columbus, support what they do. And this is one of the moments where I really jump in feet first in one of their direct charitable activities. They provide all these nice coats for kids. And uh, this year we were at uh, Park Heights, we were at uh, St. Ambrose, mm -hmm. and people say that I, I could have had a future in retail. I think so. I, I'm just looking, I, love, I, wish, uh, I wish our listeners could see your smile now as you're talking about this. I love you know, the, you know, helping the kids try their coats on and the big <laughs> smile on their face and the smiles from their moms and dads. Mm -hmm. And it's just a happy event all the way around. That is great. Yeah. So as we wrap up Advent, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. There's violence in our city. The opioid epidemic is, you know, in our state and in the country. Uh, the crisis of trust in the church that we just talked about. Civil discourse is no longer civil. How do you find hope in Advent and Christmas? I think that uh, Christ is our hope. Uh, we certainly have to do our part to make society more civil, uh, to curb violence in the city, to address drugs and mental health issues that really are not just in the city, but all over the archdiocese and our nation. Um, we think about Christians uh, in the Middle East who profess their faith at the point of a sword. We think about so many overwhelming problems. And, and, and we, we do have to do our part as citizens and as believers with an eye not just toward our individual comfort and our own success, but also for the common good, an idea that has almost been entirely lost from view. Um, and somewhere along the way, in, in giving our all to our families, our parish communities, the archdiocese and our civil society, we recognize that we can't do this alone. That after all, the Lord really is our savior. He really is our shepherd. He is really the one who not only teaches us how to love, but actually loves us in a way that is personal and powerful and also communal, because the church would not have survived lo these many centuries through thick and thin, through times of holiness and scandal, if the church had not been the subject of the Lord's abiding love. And so as the Lord's birth, the celebration of the Lord's birth draws near. I always think of the expression in John's gospel, newness of life. And that's what we're looking for. Deep renewal. Deep renewal on the church. Deep renewal uh, in the structures of our civil society, including, and above all, I would say, the family deep renewal in our personal relationships. And so when I think about peering into the manger at midnight mass at the cathedral and looking at the Christ child, 
but do I think about a new beginning? There's always a new beginning in Christ. Christ really is our hope. And, season, and Advent is preeminently the season of hope. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been a priest since 1977, so you've celebrated Christmas Mass for more than 40 years now. Do you find something new each year in the Gospel accounts to be able to preach and share in your house? Well, at my age, I'm just grateful I can climb the steps of the pulpit, <laughs> you know, and get up there, you know? No, you know, um, that's the amazing thing. Uh, the, I'm amazed by the scriptures the older I get the more amazed I become because you can't begin to scratch the surface. It really is the revealed Word of God, not just because there's nothing wrong in it, but because of the depth and the beauty of of the Scriptures and how they open out to the inward life of God. And the more you think about them, pray about them, study them, but it has to be new. Mm-hmm. It has to be new. You know, a family wouldn't serve leftovers on Christmas Day, and I'm not going to either. Every year is different, and every year there's a new dimension to think about, pray about. That's why it's both a challenge and a joy and a privilege to be a homilist. It's humbling. Good. You're going to be celebrating Mass at the Cathedral and the Basilica Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. After that, I assume you get to go see your parents out of state. And what will Christmas be like with them? I do. You know, it's, um, it's, it, Christmas has fallen, in, in that way, Christmas has fallen into a routine. Um, because in my previous... Call it tradition. <laughs> in my previous diocese uh, in, in Connecticut... I would say a parish mass, uh, and then I would say a Christmas Eve mass at the cathedral, and then a Christmas morning mass, and then I would uh, nick a flight to be with my family. And I do the same thing here. So I will say mass at uh, Our Lady of Hope in Dundalk, 4 o'clock, then at 10 o'clock, at uh, the cathedral of Mary Our Queen, and then mid-morning at the Basilica downtown. And then I, uh, there's the perfect time for a Southwest flight when that's all over. And I'll get in around, I think, 7 o'clock or so. Mom and Dad are in their late 90s. And uh, probably by the time I get across the river, I land in Louisville and we live in southern Indiana. Uh, by the time I get across the river, they might be tucked in for the night. So the next day I'll be there. I'll say mass for them in their in their room in the nursing home, and then we will have family who will gather for lunch, and they give us a kind of a separate little dining room, and so we'll have a, we'll have a luncheon and we'll have an exchange of gifts, and then I'll stay on a couple of days, visiting with mom and dad, visiting with friends and relatives, and uh, it's always a very very nice time. Just like the rest of us, you want to be with family at, at, oh, you at do. Christmas time. Yes, you do. So my brother is there. i got cousins in that area. Um, Mom will be uh, 99 in January, and Dad's next birthday is June. He will be 
a mere 98. Just a young boy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing that with us today. We've been talking with Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore about Christmas and Advent and joy and hope and family and tradition. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Chris, and I wish everyone a very, very merry and blessed Christmas. Thank you. This is Christopher Gundy of the Catholic Review, and on behalf of the whole team at Catholic Review Media and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese, we wish all of our listeners a very blessed Christmas time. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.